muddy field uh, to keep your garment uh, white and to keep it without getting spotted and to have it without a sense of uh, kinds of <coughs> problems and all of these things. And yet, I know that it is, um, as Sister Rogers uh, stepped into the office this morning and said that she felt uh, the presence of the Lord, the Lord speaking to her, giving her a word, and uh, it was that uh, revival follows repentance. And that's so true. Revival always follows repentance. And so what are you saying? Whether it's a personal revival that I have whenever I receive the presence of the Lord, it, it requires that sense of repentance. And I, I know that, you know, it, it's easy to feel like, well, I, I don't get it. I, uh, you know, I'm not as bad as somebody over there and I'm not quite as bad as they are and I don't have, uh, but you know what? Every one of us have to recognize I have to be repent. I have to ask the Lord to forgive me because that's the first step in getting my vessel cleansed and getting my thing where I am able to say, Lord, I want you to wash my mind, wash my heart, wash my, my thinking because it's a dirty world out there. Yeah. And if you've never... You know, you can try to live in an insulated uh, bubble and you're not going to uh, see anybody and talk to anybody. And yet, you know what? You just can't help but drive down the road and, and somebody will, you know, <laughs> get offended or somebody will get upset. And I know I use that as an example a lot. Somebody said they want to be my chauffeur because I must get into a lot of problems whenever I'm driving. <laughs> but... It, whether it's, you know, on the job or wherever, uh, you know, they're just folks that, you know, are going to try the Holy Ghost in you. And yet here uh, we have at times, I guess, even uh, a sense of uh, you can get under personal attack. And so I, I, I wanted to talk to you today for a few moments about what motivated Paul. What motivated the Apostle Paul. Paul was a Jewish scholar and he was, had studied in the feet of Gamaliel. He wrote more books in the New Testament. People want to read Paul. They want to uh, understand the Apostle Paul. They, Paul was a missionary. He was an evangelist. He was a pastor from afar. He was all of these things that Paul was. And, and yet, really, uh, sometimes I've heard people refer to him as the 12th apostle because uh, actually uh, he uh, was one that had a personal encounter with Jesus on the road uh, to Damascus. And we, you know, stood and looked at that road uh, a couple of 
of years ago as we watched where uh, it left Israel, uh, the land of Israel going up toward uh, Syria or Damascus. And so uh, somewhere on that road was this encounter with the light. And he, Paul had an amazing conversion. He was uh, a, a, a direct enemy of the early church, wanted to kill the early uh, Christians, and yet had this encounter and asked the question, Who art thou, Lord? And the Lord replied, I am Jesus, whom thou persecutest. Now, the, nobody, uh, Paul was not persecuting Jesus. Jesus was already dead, crucified, and resurrected. But when Jesus' voice responded, when God spoke, to Paul. He said, I am Jesus. Who art thou, Lord? I am Jesus, whom thou persecuted. What does that mean? That the Lord said, was basically saying, Paul, when you do it to my children, you're doing it to me. When you attack my people, you're attacking me. Oh, that should give us hope today. We're not alone in this dirty world. We're not, you say, well, nobody knows what we're going through. And you don't understand. And it's just, you know, bizarre and crazy. And I, I guess we've all uh, almost become desensitized to all of the, 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 the craziness. And so this was who Paul was. Started churches and he started one in, in Corinth. And he preached and then came back and the church was just absolutely, um, I guess, going crazy. Not, not great like this church, but just a crazy church that needed to repent. That's basically what, they, there was all kinds of stuff. When you read the letter of 1 Corinthians, he just goes through stuff that they're doing. He tells them, you guys need to repent. And he is letting them realize there's divisions and there's fights. And one person or two, I don't know, at least one got mad that Paul wrote that kind of a letter. And one decided on his own, I'm going to personally try to attack Paul. Not only in words and not only talking about him, but actually, I guess, tried to attack him physically. Now, I, I'm fortunate. I mean, I've, I've had people maybe say things and get mad and, and get, you know, frustrated and all those things. Uh, you can't hardly, you know, go through life without some of that. Maybe falsely, maybe partial truth, whatever. The point is, I, I've gone through that. But imagine if it was that you were physically attacked and he not only was slandered, he was physically attacked. And so then he had to leave on his missionary journey and go back to Corinth. And there it, he was under the attack by the Corinthian church or at least some in the Corinthian church. And so he then goes back to, on his missionary journey, and he goes to Macedonia, to Philippi, to, uh, and he is there in jail, and somebody tells him that the Corinthian church is still got some issues, and so he writes the second book. 
of Corinthians. That's what 2 Corinthians is all about. And it's all about talking about Paul's motive. Now you say, well, why is that important to us? Because probably there's not going to be too long in this dirty world that somebody is going to falsely accuse you or attack you or say something or you're going to feel in some way done wrong. Right? Misunderstood? Maligned? Whatever. Maybe not physically attacked, but in this society, something's going to happen to you where you're going to feel like, what's going on? And he was accused of having the wrong motives. Paul was stressed to the max. In fact, when you read in 2 Corinthians, the 7th chapter, he says something like this. He says, our flesh had no rest. We were troubled on every side. Without were fightings and within were fears. Wow, you talk about going through it. Now, Paul, you know, was raised, as I said, Jewish. He understood the law. He recognized the law and what the law was. And he was, in fact, part of why he would be attacked was because the Gentiles would accuse him of trying to force the law and the Uh, Jews would try, accuse him of trying to uh, associate with the Gentiles. And Paul was in this sort of no man's land and then there were other slanders and other attacks and his motives were were challenged. And maybe you've never had your motives questioned, but uh, Paul had. And I want to show you what Paul said today and kind of look at what Paul understood and what Paul did because I do believe that it is going to be the the impetus, the beginnings of that sense of repentance that will bring about the revival that is personal as well as in our church is that sense of in this dirty world. And yet Paul knew, he knew the law. In the law, uh, the law was very specific about things about earthen vessels, wooden vessels, and, and uh, different kinds of vessels. As a matter of fact, uh, whenever there came a sin offering or a burnt offering, uh, Leviticus, next slide, I, my thing's not, there it is. Uh, this law was uh, for the sin offering in the place of the burnt offering is killed. Every earthen vessel that it was, uh, that it was involved in the sin offering or the burnt offering had to be broken and destroyed because it was involved in sin. There was the sin offering. The vessel wasn't sinning, but just the fact that the vessel was used in the sin offering and something that was dead was brought into the the holy place or the, the at the altar of sacrifice. That was enough that the vessels had to be destroyed. Later on in Leviticus, you can read that um, even basically what this Leviticus 11th chapter tells us is even if a fly was buzzing and it died or a bug and it died and it landed on a vessel, that 
vessel had to be destroyed. Anything dead that touched an earthen vessel, anything dead that touched a little bit of this clay. Now, if it was brass, they could wash it and, and, and with water and soap, but a wooden vessel, a animal skins, an earthen vessel, an earthen vessel had to be destroyed, had to be broken. It was like used once. If it touched anything dead, it was this sense of, you know, it's not worth anything. Now, Paul himself in Romans wrote that in my flesh dwells no good thing. And most of us are around in this dirty world. We have a chance to get dirty. You get around dead stuff. You have all kinds of stuff that can happen. And that's why, as Sister Rogers said, it becomes vital that we maintain a spirit of repentance in this hour. Because you may say, well, I'm not, a, I'm not an axe murderer. I didn't do this. I didn't do that. Yes, but oh God, just the very fact that a bug crawled on me and died, I would have been destroyed in the Old Testament. And so Paul is, has this dilemma of trying to explain to this Corinthian church that number one, I am not perfect, but, you know, I have received mercy. In fact, he says in the fourth chapter, he says, therefore, you can read in the first chapter, he talks about all the things that are attacking him, but he says it like this, therefore, seeing we have this ministry, this ministry, what is this? We talked to the, uh, uh, the children yesterday, the young folks about ministry, service. Seeing we have this ministry as we have received, what did he say? Mercy. We faint not, but we have renounced the hidden things of dishonesty, walking in craftiness, handling the word of God deceitfully, but by the manifestation of the truth, commending ourselves to every man's conscience in the sight of God. What was Paul saying was, he was saying, we, I am so thankful for the mercy of God. I try to do your best. In this hour, you've got to try to do your best. You've got to try to say, I'm going to build a wall around me. I'm not going to try to be dishonest. I'm not going to be crafty. I'm not going to try to deceive. I want to do my best so that nobody and you have to live that way and yet even when you do your very best it's probably you're going to offend somebody doesn't matter doing your best somebody's going to get upset and you're going to get upset then you're going to feel attacked and there huh Amen. and he says oh for the mercy of God keep going he says and, but we have this treasure in what are you saying what Paul was saying is when I received the gift of the Holy Ghost all of a sudden my earthen vessel is not worth anything it should be destroyed because of all the dead that I have been exposed to all of the all of the junk that has touched our lives huh 
Oh, I should be broken. I should have been thrown away. But one day the Lord said, I'm going to put a treasure in us. Why? That the excellency of the power may be of God and not of us. That's why I have to stay in a state of repentance that, Lord, I need your presence. I need your spirit because without that, there's no way I can live like I should in a dirty, filthy world. In a world where there's spirits and there's anxiety and fear and all of this. And he goes on to say that the power may be of God and not us. And he, and he expands on that. What he later is going to talk about in the seventh chapter, troubled on every side. He said, we are troubled on every side. But yet what's going on? I'm not distressed. Why? Not because I'm better than they are. Not because I don't feel it. Not because it doesn't. But I keep stirring up the gift that at the power of the Holy Ghost in me, it's not me. It's not mind over matter. It's not just thinking about it. That's why whenever Sister Roger said about repent, it's so true. That sense of Lord, I need you to wash me again. I need you to touch me again. I need you to speak through me again. I need your spirit to wash through me again. Why? Because as trouble comes on every side, I've got to have the excellency of the power of the treasure that God put in this earthen vessel or it would destroy my vessel. You, you can't stand in this hour without the presence and spirit of almighty God. I, my, my wife's cousin, uh, just, just a, a few weeks older than her, left church several years ago and not going to live for God. And yet, you know, they have, have, I think, uh, three or four children. How many? Four children. And, and the, the little girl came and, and the time they were leaving, you know, church, she said, the little girl came and said, I, I want to be baptized. Just right at the time they were, they were fixing to walk out the door because there wasn't anything that was good enough for him. And they, oh, I, I want to be baptized. And, and the dad said, don't worry about it. I'll baptize you whenever I feel like you're ready. Oh, great. And yet the powers of the enemy got a hold. It can get a hold of anybody's child. I get it. But guess what? We got a call Thursday, Friday, I think it was when we landed in Maine, that this young lady, this 25-year-old girl had died of a fentanyl overdose. What are you telling me? You're not exempt. I'm not exempt. Our families aren't exempt. The pressure, the power of the world is upon everybody. If I don't stay full of the Holy Ghost, that's my only hope is to stay full of the power of God. You say, well, oh, I can handle it. I'm telling you, there's too much debt out there. It is touching you. It ought to break you. It will eventually break you. So you don't understand. I, I, I'm, I'm tough. Maybe you. What about your kids? What about your spouse? What about somebody? Huh? Well, I can handle it, Pastor. Oh, 
That's why I've got to stay. Paul said, I'm troubled on every side, yet I'm not distressed. I'm perplexed, but guess what? I, I, I don't understand it all, but guess what? I don't have the spirit of despondency or despair that gets a hold of me. Oh, does that mean that the devil doesn't try? Absolutely the devil tries to get me in despair. You say, well, but I am, I am troubled, but yet I'm not going to get the spirit of being distressed. I am persecuted, but I still know that my Redeemer lives. I know that I am not forsaken. I know that the Lord is with I might, might be going through it, but let me tell you, God hasn't left me yet. God hasn't failed me yet. I've been cast down, but guess what? <laughs> Righteous man gets uh, knocked down seven times. Guess what? I'm getting back up. I'm not destroyed. Why? Always bearing about. What, what does it? What does that for you? What, what keeps your mind? What keeps your emotion? What keeps you in this hour? I'm going to tell you the only thing that will keep you in this hour is that you remember one day Jesus died for me and he sent his spirit and I've been buried in his name. I received the gift of his spirit. That's what keeps me. That's what keeps my mind and heart and emotions in this hour. You say, well, oh, I, I you know, I, I think I can handle it. Well, Paul wanted to talk about his motives and, and yet he was telling them, he says, he goes on to say, for this cause we faint not, though our outward man perish, yet the inward man is renewed. Now that was Paul's day. I, I think I almost need to get renewed every half day. About it. Maybe every hour. Huh? Yeah. What was he saying? The only way in, this, in the hour in which Paul was living, not today, not 2,020 years later, yes. 2,000 years ago, the only way Paul could make it, Paul, the great Paul, the guy knocked off the donkey. The guy blinded. The great writer. The only way Paul could make it is to get renewed yes. day by day. I, I want to tell you, if you think you can, well, you know, praise the Lord. I, I prayed back in 47 and... I got a great experience with God. And, whew, man, I tell you what, it's been good. I don't know where you're living. I, I'm, you got to have a renewing almost every day. <laughs> you, you can't hardly go 24 hours. And he said, our light affliction, he called it light affliction, works for, a, but just for, but a moment works a far more exceeding eternal weight of glory while we keep our eyes. We look not at the things that are seen, but I have to keep my eyes. Oh, it is so easy in this hour to look at around us and to look at all the stuff that's going on and to look at my life. 
and to get overwhelmed. But I have somehow got Paul here who had been wrongly accused or whatever. Maybe he was guilty. I don't know. He said that he was trying to do his best. I take his word for it. The point was he was saying, you know what? I still keep my eyes on the eastern skies. I keep my mind thinking about one of these days. I'm going I'm to take a trip in the good old gospel ship. What do you say? I am saying if there was ever a time that we've got to keep our attention not on what's going on, whether it's politically or economically or any of those things uh, with the world and, uh, you know, global warming. I, what do you say? I want to, you know, that one of these days the church is going to leave here victorious. That's where my mind and attention is. And you say, well, but I, I don't want anybody to think I'm bad. I'm not as bad as, well, I'm sure you're not. But he said, I look at things that are not temporary, but things that are eternal. And he goes into the fifth chapter. This is kind of where he really gets into his motive. Because he says, we know that if our earthly house, this temple, were destroyed, this tabernacle were dissolved, we have a building of God. I, I want to tell you something. You, you have got to keep your attention in this hour. Thank you. You've got to keep your attention in this hour that in fact, <coughs> I want to make it to heaven. I want to make it to heaven. It's, yes, it, this earthly tabernacle is important. Yes, I want to do my best to uh, live right, eat right, do right. But you know what? I want you to know that there's the Lord still has a place. Yes. He said, comfort one another. In Thessalonians with these words, the Lord shall descend from heaven with a shout. The voice of the archangel, what are you saying in this hour? Oh, I'm telling you in this hour, it can be overwhelming. It can be overwhelming when you realize all the stuff that's going on. Or you can say, you know, here it was in, in, in the fifth chapter where he said, we have a house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. And verse 5, he said, now he that hath wrought for us the self-same thing is God who also hath given unto us the earnest of the spirit. And we've talked about that word earnest. It's like earnest money. It's like a down payment. It's like a just a, a, a down payment to earnest money on a house, to earnest money on a car, or that sense of the earnest money. He was saying it was a, it was a sense of a legal term. When you receive the gift of the Holy Ghost and the Spirit of the Lord begins to flow through you and you feel that presence of the Lord in a, such a powerful, mighty way, I'm telling you that's just the earnest. That's just the down payment of what the Lord has for us. You want to talk about the resurrection power? Yes, we have that, but you know what? That's just the beginning. Oh, I'm so thankful that I know him. I'm so thankful that I can let that flow day by day. That's why I have to get it renewed day by day. You know, I mean, if somebody came by and said, I want to buy your car, and they gave you 50 bucks, and you said, that was back in 47, they hadn't shown up yet. 
You may want to get rid of the car. This is why the renewing of the Holy Ghost, this is why praying through to the Spirit of the Lord. He, he said, he that hath wrought, he hath wrought us for, now he that hath wrought us for the selfsame thing is God, who also giveth us the earnest of the Spirit. Therefore we are always confused indecisive, overwhelmed, in distress. Huh? I'm going to tell you, you will feel those feelings if you don't renew the Holy Ghost day by day. You're going to feel like, what's it worth? Why am I doing this? What's it worth? Why am I going to this job? Why? Huh? Oh, this is so stupid. What? What's... Uh, What's it going to matter? But when you get a hold of the Spirit day by day, get renewed day by day, you know, and, and you, you just, you know, you say, well, I don't have time. I don't have time to just let the presence of the Lord touch me. I'm going to tell you, I don't know how you cannot do it day by day in this hour we're living. It brings a sense of confidence knowing that while we are at home in the body, we are absent from the Lord. What are you saying? That Lord, I don't know what's going on in my life right now, but one of these days, I'm leaving here. Amen. And I don't know, I can't understand it all, but I do know that, Lord, you hold the worlds in the palm of your hands. I know. And so then he goes on to say, we walk by what? Faith and not by sight. And then he, he gets even a little further and he says, for, he, he uses this phrase, he says, for we, wherefore we labor... We labor that whether present or absence, that means work, therefore we work. I know people say, well, you're not saved by works. I agree. We're not saved by works. It's the grace of God. It's faith. I got that. But let me tell you, when you feel that presence of the Lord, it makes you want to do something. It makes you want to do something different. It makes you want to do, live different. It makes you want to be different. If it's not, then you need to stir it up again. That's what happened to Timothy. Remember, Paul said, Timothy, wait a minute. You're pastor in a church, but God's not giving you a spirit of fear, but of love and power. Stir up the gift that was put in you by the laying on of hands. Why would he say that to Timothy? Because he knew that if Timothy could get renewed in the spirit, that all, everything would all of a sudden come into place. He said that we may be accepted of him, for we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ. Oh, that's heavy. I don't want to talk about judgment day. I thought I could live like I want and never have to worry about judgment. I thought I could do anything I want. Never. Let me tell you something. That's why I try to stay renewed by the Spirit because judgment day is coming. It's test day. You're going to have to be accountable. At some point, you're going to have to stand before judgment. And he goes on to say that everyone may receive the things done in his body according to he hath done, whether it's good or bad. And then he, he even gets a little more brazen and he said, knowing the 
terror of the Lord. What does that do? Make me afraid? Knowing that judgment day is coming. What does that do? Overwhelm me? Make me ashamed? Make me fearful? No. Paul was not, he did not say judgment day should produce those things. Now the enemy will try to use the thought of judgment day as a sense of, oh, God's going to get you. And I don't like that feeling, so I don't want to hear judgment day, pastor. But let me tell you what judgment day thought is supposed to do. Judgment day thought is supposed to first make me repent and get renewed. And when I get renewed, when I think of judgment day, it's not supposed to make me fearful. It's supposed to make me, let me tell you something, the Lord's coming soon. It's supposed to make me tell somebody. He said, knowing the terror of the Lord, we... I want to tell everybody around me. I want to tell somebody. I'm going to tell you. Let me tell you what the Lord can help you through that. I want to tell you the Lord's able to touch you. I want to tell you, you know what that's you're fighting? I, I, I can tell you the solution for it. I can tell you how you can get through that mentally and emotionally. I want, I, why? Because judgment day's coming. It's supposed to persuade me to want to tell somebody what the Lord has done for me, what the Lord can do for them, what the Lord can do for any of That's what Paul said. I want you to know my motive for preaching the gospel is not because it's, well, oh, I, I, I trust also we are manifest unto God and I trust also we are manifest unto you. What are you saying? Well, my motive, what's my motive in this point? My motive was, he was not, he was saying, and he goes on to say, for we commend not ourselves again unto you. In other words, he was saying, I'm not trying to prove myself to you. I'm not trying to tell you how good I am, but give you occasion to glory on our behalf. That you may some have somewhat to answer them which glory in appearance and not in heart. There are some people that look on the outside, you know, and if my Facebook account says I'm having fun, huh? And it's not real. Oh, my darling wife made me a lovely breakfast. I get on a chair and take a beautiful picture, but it's not genuine, huh? And he said there are some that look on the appearance but not in the heart. And then he says, if we are beside ourselves, it's to God. Whether we are sober, it's for you. Now, what are you saying? Paul was saying, in this hour, I, in that getting renewed day by day, I'm sorry. I might get a little wild. I might... Pray a little bit in the middle. Take a little longer, huh? He said, I'll try to keep it in check because the love of Christ constrains us. What do you mean? What he was saying is when I get into his presence and I get 
start letting the Spirit of the Lord flow and I get renewed day by day. I can get lost in the presence of Almighty God. I can almost reach the point where I don't know who's around me. I don't know who's praying for me or not. And you see folks come to the altar and just for a moment, I'm just lost. I'm out of it. I'm in my own world. What are they doing? They're getting tapped in like Paul said. I, I am letting the Spirit of the Lord. I want to tell you something. We need that more and more and more as we get nearer the coming of the Lord. Oh, he said, yeah, sometimes I don't act crazy because of you. I don't want to offend you. But he says, I want you to know whenever I realize that one died so that I don't have to die and he died that we might live, we should not therefore henceforth live anymore unto ourselves but unto him which died for them and rose again. I realize that I'm not living this. I'm not trying to do that. I'm not doing this because I want to be good. I'm not doing by trying to live right. I am not repenting because I think I'm so awesome. I'm not trying to do it for your sake but I want you to know that one day Jesus died on Calvary for me. Oh how he loved me. How could I not do what I how, oh, oh I don't feel like I can handle. I, don't, I ought to be happy. I, oh but just the fact that I know what he did for me. He's done so much for me. How can I not praise him? How can I not worship him? How can I not raise my hands? How can I not give? How can I not live? How can I not do any of that? Hallelujah. One more. And then he says, he says, uh, one more slide, sister. There it is. For therefore, if any man be in Christ. Now he's talking about the spirit of regeneration. The ministry of regeneration. He is a what? New creature. Oh, what a powerful thought. You know what? I don't, I might have been raised crazy. I might have had bad parents. I might have had this. I might have had that. But one day, the Lord made me a new creature. That's enough for me to shout about. <laughs> Old things were passed away and all things became new. If you said, well, I don't have anything to be thankful about. I don't have anything to worship God about. You don't understand. I mean, the wolf's howling at the door and, you know, I, I'm, it's, it's all kind of problems. You know what? One day the Lord died on Calvary so that I could be a new creature in Christ Jesus. I could be something different. Oh, hallelujah. Old things are, are passed away and all things become new and all things are of God who hath not only regenerated us but reconciled us. What does that mean? What does it mean to reconcile? To bring close. The door of reconciliation is to all of a sudden open it up where you can step into the presence of God. That's why the veil was torn in the, between the holy place and the holy of holies when Jesus died was he opened the door for us to feel the presence of the Lord. But guess what? 
we end up putting a door. When we get hurt, when we get offended, when we get, get wronged, I don't want anybody to touch me again, so I wall it up. I put a door. And in Revelation, the Bible paints the picture of Jesus standing at the door and doing what? Won't you open yourself up so that I, I've, I died on Calvary so that we could commune. I, you could walk in the cool of the garden with me. You could feel my presence day by day. You could feel my spirit. You say, well, I don't feel it. It's not because he hasn't reconciled us to God. That's what Jesus did on Calvary. He said, reconciled us to himself by Jesus Christ. And he has given unto us the ministry of... What is that? That I'm able to tell anybody and everybody, this isn't just for me. You can have it too. Our job is to do what we can to reconcile. Oh, I know. I can get offended, get mad, <coughs> get mad at Brother Reagan, mad at Brother Gators, get mad at Sister Caitlin. I can get frustrated with Brother Hall. I can get mad. And yet, when I start thinking about how the Lord accepted me, how can I be too offended? If he accepted me and I can't accept you, wow, where does that put me? It's a ministry of reconciliation. Blessed are the peacemakers. Well, I just want you to know what he said about you, Brother Gators. Brother Reagan, he said those things. He wasn't very nice. Is that the ministry of reconciliation? Absolutely not. This hour, it's up to us. People are so divided, so angry, so frustrated so intense from Washington down to driving in Columbus here to wit that God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself and then thankfully not imputing their trespasses but you don't know what he did to me pastor you don't know how he offended me not imputing their trespasses unto them. That's why the Lord said, in this hour, we're going to have to break out forgiveness. Huh? Forgive. Why? One, one disciple said, forgive? Really? Okay, how many times? Seven? <laughs> Maybe seven, right? <laughs> That'd be a tough one. What did the Lord say? Oh, yeah. Reconciliation. Forgiveness. 
What are you doing? I'm keeping the presence of the Lord flowing through me. I, I'm, I'm, I'm cleaning out the channel so that the presence and spirit of Almighty God in this hour, when you talk about a ministry, and I and I we talk to these kids about helping and whether it's sound and and, and the media and playing and do I, I want them involved in all of that. But let me tell you the greatest ministry that you will ever have. Not missionary, not pastor, not preacher, not teacher, is a ministry that says a ministry of reconciliation. Doing your best to try to bring forgiveness and mercy and love. And let me just tell you, you got to stay full of the Holy Ghost to do that one. Huh? <laughs> You want to talk about, oh, pastor, I, I've had people say, I don't know if I could ever pastor. Try to just be a minister of reconciliation. He wrote this to the church. This wasn't written to the preachers at Corinth. He wrote it to the church. And what do you say? At this point, I have to say, Lord, I want to reconcile. Sorry, they just sat down. Stand back up saying, all of you stand. All of you stand. Soul of vessel.